Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Faith Christian Podcast. At Faith Christian, our purpose is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information about Faith Christian, check out our website, fccnp.org, or stop by on a Sunday morning. We'd love to meet you. Now we hope you enjoy this recent teaching from Faith Christian Church. Well, let me also welcome you to Faith Christian today. Glad we get to spend this time together in the room. Uh, glad that those of you who are tuned in online, watching from home this morning, uh, glad that you're making this a part of your weekend as well. A couple of real quick things by announcement ways uh, that I need to mention to you. I want to remind you, those interested in participating in our next worship team choir, uh, that's coming up in August, uh, uh, Sunday evening, August the 20th. Uh, there'll be a choir practice here at five o'clock. And so come that night, you'll learn the songs that uh, you'll be helping lead in our uh, worship service the following Sunday. Sunday, August 27th, uh, that's Sunday morning at the 10 o'clock service. So if you're interested in that, uh, see Josie for more information, or just be here on August 20th at 5 p.m. for that choir rehearsal, and we'll be glad to share that with you. I uh, also mentioned to you last week, uh, last Sunday, uh, we, uh, well, the week before, we had a great uh, group of uh, middle school students who went to a Christ and Youth Conference uh, over in Indiana. They had a wonderful trip, and several of those students on that trip uh, made the decision to be baptized, and so many of you were able to join us last Sunday after after our service over at the McInturf home and use their pool uh, to baptize our friend Grace. And we want to invite you there again today, uh, right after the service, around 11.30 or so this morning, um, this little girl named Caroline, who's not so little anymore, that grew up at my house, is we're going to do her baptism today, and uh, our family would love for you to join us uh, about 11.30 over at the McInturf's house over in Lakeview. If you need directions, see me after the service, and hopefully we'll see you there uh, to celebrate her baptism uh, this, this morning. Um, you, ever, you ever hear a story and you think, that's a really, really crazy story. I, I don't know if it's true, but that's a really, really good story. I, I'm probably going to tell that story. I'm not sure it's the truth. I'm going to tell that story because it's such a fascinating story. Like the story maybe you heard of the woman who had found out her husband was having an affair. And she was absolutely devastated, did not know what to do. She decided she was going to commit suicide. And so she jumped from their 10th story apartment window and as she fell to the sidewalk before, instead of hitting the sidewalk, she landed on, get this, her husband. Killed him, she walked away unscathed. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's a great story, right? That's an awesome story. You hear stories like that and go, I don't know. I don't know if that story, story is true, but that's a great story. All of us have heard stories like that. You've told stories like that. You know those stories. Here's the truth. There are some crazy, crazy stories in the Bible. And maybe you've heard some of them before. Maybe you haven't. And maybe you're not very much of a Bible person. And when you hear these stories, you go, you see, that's why I don't believe it. Because that's too crazy. That's just too much for me. That's too far out there. It's interesting, but I don't believe it. And some of you are Bible people. You've been around a long time, and you go, yeah, I believe everything in the Bible. And you hear a story, and you think, <laughs> that's crazy. I don't know what to do with it, but I believe it. But I don't know what that means for my life. But that's a crazy story. We're hitting the home stretch of this sermon series we've been in this summer that we're calling Vintage. And what we're doing in this Vintage series, what Brian and I have been doing all summer long, is taking a look at some, some characters, some people, some stories from the Old Testament and applying and finding those lessons from the Old Testament that still apply to our life today. 
walking through some of these stories, some of these people's lives, and hearing their stories, and finding out what does that mean for me today. Well, we're going to wrap up this series over the next, well, the the course of this month of August and through Labor Day weekend. We're going to talk about some of these, what I think are some of the most interesting, but some of the craziest stories in the Bible. My guess is that when when you hear these stories, Probably most of you probably have not heard these stories before because these are not the stories that come up when it's you know time to read a Bible story to your kid at bedtime. As a matter of fact, the story we're going to read today, I'm just going to tell you, is kind of rated R. So if you're easily offended, you might want to listen with your eyes closed today. All right, um, this is the kind of story that we're going to talk about today that a school board in Florida would have this book banned from the library. All right, but it's the Bible. All right, this is a, this is that kind of story, but there's some great lessons here. Now, before we get to today's story, uh, we need to kind of talk about where this all fits into the scheme of Scripture. So you kind of know what's going on in history. It'll help make this make a little sense. I'm going to do this really quickly, so buckle up. All of these stories that we're going to these next five weeks that we're talking about come from a time frame of Bible history and that we call the Judges. Matter of fact, there's a book in the Bible called Judges. It's near the beginning of the Old Testament called Judges. This all happens a little over a mm, thousand-ish years or so before the time of Jesus. God's people, the Israelites, at this point in history, are divided into 12 separate tribes. And these 12 tribes were managed by, they were governed by, the leader, if you will, of these 12 tribes was a judge. Here was the idea. This is God's idea, by the way. This was the way God had set this up for the, his children, his, his, the people of Israel, the Hebrew people, to live. The idea was that God was the king. God has given us the law. All we need then, because God is our king, all we need are some judges to manage the people, to sometimes protect the people, to sometimes defend the people, and sometimes to avenge the people on God's behalf. They don't need a king because God's their king. They just need a judge. And this all sounds like it's going to work great, and it should work great because it's God's idea. But it doesn't work. And here's why it doesn't work. They begin to have all kinds of different problems start to happen during this period of the judges because people, the people keep making bad decisions. And what they start doing is something that I'm sure none of us can relate to. They kind of go through this cycle. It starts with them disobeying God. They go against God's will for their life. They go against what God's law says for them to do. They go against God's law which when they break God's law, when they disobey God, it leads to some sort of catastrophe, some sort of horrible, well, it's called consequences, right? We teach our children this. There's consequences for decisions. Some kind of horrible consequence, some kind of disaster that they're now dealing with because of their decision to break God's law. And so in the midst of this consequence, in the middle of the disaster, they will cry out to God, help, we've messed up god help us we need a deliverer we need someone to come save us and so this was the pattern disobedience leading to some kind of catastrophe and then call out god can you bail us out god can you help us out here's what i know about you (laughs) because here's what i know about me we all do this we all do this some of us know what it's like to to disobey our, our our own religion you know what it's like to get to the point where you feel guilt and shame and you don't know what to do and you think i need someone to bail me out god someone somebody's got to help me out some of us have disobeyed the law whether it was a speeding ticket or some other little run-in with with the with the law and you reached a disaster 
and you, you know, had to use your one phone call to get someone to literally bail you out. You've been in that situation. We know what that's like. Some of us have disobeyed our own conscience. You get to the point where you say, I'm not going to do that. 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 But then you do that. And it's a disaster. And you need someone to help. All of us know what it's like to have desperately needed, to, needed someone to step in for us, bail us out, pay the fine, get us into rehab, give us another chance, offer forgiveness. We all know what that's like. And when that happens, we say, just like the Israelites said, thank you, thank you, thank you, I'll never do it again. I'll never do it again. And that lasts for about a week, right? And we start the whole cycle all over again. Well, the book of Judges is about 300 years when an entire nation lives in this cycle. Now, today's story from the book of Judges is really, really weird. But it tells us so much about our God. And it tells us what happens when a nation of people decide, I'm, I'm deciding to not live by those rules anymore. And I'm going to do whatever I want, whenever I want, however I want, with whoever I want. Now, we, we don't say it like that. We clean it up, right? But we do say things like, you know what? I'm just going to do whatever feels good. I, I'm going to do whatever is right for me. Now, that may not be right for you, and what's right for you may not be right for me, but I'm going to do what's right for me, and, and I'm going to take care of me, and I'm going to look out for number one. And when I don't feel it anymore, sorry, new microphone. When I don't feel it anymore, uh, then, then I'm not going to do it anymore. And when it doesn't make me happy anymore, then I'm going to go find something or someone else to make me happy because I'm going to do whatever I want, whenever I want, however I want, with whoever I want. Well, this story from the book of Judges takes place at the very end of the book of Judges. And it starts out with this guy who was a Levite. That was one of the tribes. He was a, from the tribe of Levi. So he's a Levite. He lived in a place called Ephraim. And this Levite happens to go get himself a concubine. That's a big fancy Bible word um, for like, she's, a concubine was like a wife or, or a girlfriend, but she wasn't there voluntarily. You with me now? This was a girlfriend who was a slave. And she was a mistress to help. All right, that's who this concubine is. She is considered to be his property. And the Israelites, the, the, God's people, they did not condone this. This was kind of against the law. This is not what they did. But this Levite decides, I don't care. I'm going to do whatever I want. And he's going to get himself a concubine. He gets one anyway. Well, the concubine's hometown is from the tribe of Benjamin, another one of the 12 tribes. Matter of fact, she's from a little town called Bethlehem. You may have heard of it. And she decides... She doesn't like being a concubine. Don't blame her. She decides, I am not going to be a concubine anymore. So she runs away from, from this Levite, from Ephraim, and runs back home to Bethlehem. And so the Levite, the owner of the concubine, he chases her down, chases her all through the desert. The Levite goes and finds his concubine back at her home in Bethlehem. By the time he shows up, it's late. She's there with her family. Her dad says, <laughs> her dad says, hey, why don't you stay a while? So he stays, and they have dinner, and the Levite and the concubine's dad start doing shots, and they get drunk, really, really drunk. He goes to sleep. He wakes up around noon, says, well, it's time to go. The father says, ah, it's so late. You're going to get such a late start. You don't leave. Why don't you stick around? So he sticks around. They have dinner. They start drinking again. They pass out. They sleep till noon. This goes on for days. Finally, 
the Levite wakes up one day and he says, we've got to go now. And so he gets his concubine, gets on their donkeys, and they begin making the long trip back to Ephraim. Now, because they stayed up so late the night before and they slept so late that day, they have to stop for the night. They can't make the trip all the way back to Ephraim in one chance. So they pull into this little town called Gibeah. Gibeah. Gibeah is another little town, small little village, and the way things worked back then in this ancient culture, because there were no restaurants, there were no Motel 6s, no Holiday Inn Express, if you were traveling and you went into the town, you went to the well, which was in the center of the town where people came to get their water, you go right to the middle of town, to the town well, and you would wait if you're a traveler. And you waited until someone would come out from their home and invite you to stay the night with them. They would welcome you into their home for the night. This was called, again, this is one of the laws of Israel. This was called the law of hospitality. But Gibeah, this town, was not a very friendly place back then. And people kept walking by, these travelers, these strangers, paying no attention to them. Finally, right as it gets dark, a man has mercy on them, comes out and says, okay, fine. You can stay with me. So they go back to this guy's house, the Levite, the concubine, the old man whose house it is, and while they are eating dinner, something, this is where the story gets really, really weird. Let's pick it up. Judges chapter 19, verse 22. So you know I'm not making this up. This is right from the Bible. While they were enjoying themselves, a crowd of troublemakers from the town surrounded the house. They began beating at the door and shouting to the old man, Bring out the man who is staying with you so we can have sex with him. I told you this was rated R. Now, this is not so much a gratification thing as this is a humiliation thing. This is what's going on here. What they wanted to do, these crowd of troublemakers from the town of Gibeah, is they wanted to send a message. We don't like strangers in our town. And we're going to humiliate this man in such a way that when he leaves here, He'll tell everyone, don't you dare go to Gibeah. They don't like strangers there. Verse 23. This gets worse. The old man stepped outside to talk to them. No, 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 my brothers. Don't do such an evil thing. For this man is a guest in my house, and such a thing would be shameful. He's the only one with reason here. As he steps out and says, don't do this, because this, this violates not only this individual, but this violates our laws of hospitality, this violates our law from God, this violates our religious belief, this violates the treaties that we have with each other. And then the old man says this, here, take my virgin daughter and this man's concubine. I will bring them out to you and you can abuse them and do whatever you like, but don't do such a shameful thing to this man. Now, let's don't miss that part of the tragedy of this story is not just this decadence of this town of Gibeah, but the callous selfishness of the men in the story who would betray defenseless women to be brutally violated all night long. But they wouldn't listen to him. So the Levite took hold of his concubine and he pushed her out the door. This is with force. This, the, the word there, pushed, this is violently shoves her out the door. And I didn't even put the rest of the verse up there. Because what happens to her is so horrific. I'll let you just imagine. Well, the next morning, the Levite gets up to find that his concubine, 
who has been abused by these men all night long is dead and she's on the doorstep of the house well now this guy's mad and he takes his dead concubine and he puts her on the back of his donkey and he begins to ride home and as he's riding home he's thinking to himself he's playing the events of the last 24 hours in his head over and over again i am so outraged they violated the laws of hospitality. They violated my concubine. They took her life. She's dead. I nearly lost my life. And he's so upset and he's so outraged by this that he decides, I've got to do something about this. And so he decides what he's going to do is he's going to write a really, really angry letter and send it to the leaders of the 12 tribes of Israel to tell them about this behavior that has been going on. Yeah, he's in the comment section on Facebook. That's what he's going to do. He's going to write an angry letter. But then he thinks, but what is a letter going to do? What, what, what is that going to do? I need to make a point here. I need to get their attention. So he decides to send a message with the letters. And he takes, sorry, he takes his concubine's body, chops her body up, her dead body up into 12 pieces, and he sends a part of her body with each letter to the 12 tribes. Can you imagine how bad that would be? There's no next day FedEx, refrigerators. It would take weeks for these messages to get to their destination. And as the mayors of these tribes began to open up those packages, can you imagine the horror that they would have? And they read the letter, and they see and they smell the proof. And they are so outraged by this man's story and by what is, it, what is accompanying the story. They are so distraught and they're so frustra frustrated. They suddenly come to the realization, how did it get this bad? How, how do we let this get this bad? How do we let it get to this level? We, we knew things were bad. We knew things were rough out there, but we had no idea it was this bad. How did it get this bad? We've got to do something about this. And so the 12 tribes immediately gather the leaders together and they say, something has got to be done about this one tribe. We got to do something about those people down in Gibeah. We need to go over there. So they form, this other, the other 11 tribes form this huge army with soldiers from each of the, 12, uh, each of the tribes and they're going to go drag those men out of the city of Gibeah and kill them. So this massive army assembles and off they go to take revenge. Judges chapter 20, verse 11. So all the Israelites were completely united and they gathered together to attack the town. The Israelites sent messengers to the tribe of Benjamin saying, what a terrible thing has been done among, among you. Give up those evil men, those troublemakers from Gibeah so we can execute them and purge Israel of this evil. But the people of Benjamin would not listen. And so now we have a war. Now there's this battle that begins between this one tribe, Benjamin, and the army assembled of all the other 11 tribes. And eventually this army breaks into the city of Gibeah and they kill every living thing in the city. Wipe it off. And then, after everybody calms down, after everybody kind of realizes what we did, after the adrenaline rush is over, after cooler heads begin to prevail, somebody finally recognizes it. Hey, do you know what we just did? We just wiped out one of the 12 tribes. And that was God's plan for there to be 12 tribes, and now there's just 11 tribes. What have we done? So then somebody goes, wait, 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 wait a second. I, I, think, 
I think I heard that there were about 600 men who left the town before we got there because they wanted to hide. They didn't want anything to do with this. Well, that's great. There's 600 men left. They can be the remnant that we can repopulate the tribe of Benjamin with. Then somebody else goes, well, that's a great idea, but, the, but there's no women left. We killed them too. So somebody else says, well, uh, of all the cities that supplied us men for the battle, there was this one city that didn't send anybody, Jabesh Gilead. Let's go there. Let's go to the town of Jabesh Gilead. Let's kill all the men there, and we'll take all the women and give them to this new tribe. Some of you had no idea this stuff was in the Bible, did you? You're horrified, but you're on the edge of your seat because this is a really cool story. So that's what they do. And they kill all the men in Jabesh Gilead, and they take away 500 women, but there's still about 100 women short, right? So, okay, well, there's this one little city. They have this spring festival every year, and all the women, they come out for the spring festival. They come out and dance. Perfect. We'll hide in the vineyard. When all the women come out for the spring festival to dance, we'll take them. So that's what they do. They hide in the vineyard. They take these women. So now suddenly there are 600 men from the tribe of Benjamin who now have 600 wives, which sounds like a really bad Broadway musical, headed back to, a, to, to their burnout city, filled with decaying bodies and the stink and smell, absolute ruins from battle. For those of you that grew up with your parents reading you a Bible story at bedtime, they left this one out, didn't they? <laughs> And we like to talk about Jesus and the sheep. We don't like to talk about the concubine and the chainsaw, right? Well, here's why this story is so important for you and for me today. Here's the lesson, if you will. Even if you've never heard this weird, crazy story before, think about the dominant philosophy of everybody in this crazy story. Everybody was on the page of, I'm going to do whatever I think is right, I'm going to do whatever I want, whenever I want, with whoever I want. Because it's my life, and I can do as I please. It all begins with this one guy saying, I'm going to get myself a concubine. The Israelites didn't want that. They said, I'm going to get one anyway. I'm going to force this woman to be my concubine. Then it continues with her running away, and him going after her saying, you're going to come back with me. And then it continues with a group of men as an angry mob saying, we're going to do whatever we want with you, to you. And it continued with him taking the dead concubine and sending her out cut up into pieces. And then it goes on with the, the entire nation of Israel saying, we're going to do whatever we want to those people who did this awful thing. And then it continues with this idea that we're going to repopulate this city by taking whoever we want to make everything right to act like nothing ever happened. Everybody in this story Everybody in this story, down to the nice old gentleman who took them into his own home for hospitality, who was going to throw out his own daughter to these men. Everybody has the mentality, I'll do whatever I want, whenever I want, with whoever I want. And there is something inside of you and something inside of me that thinks the same thing. And this is where my story and your story connect with this story. And truthfully, this is kind of the dark underbelly of the American dream that says you can do whatever you want, however you want, whenever you want, with whoever you want, because it's your life. 
And many of us have felt the pain of making that choice. And it's caused us to go from disobedience to disaster to crying out, can someone please save me? Can someone please help me? Let me make a, just real quick, a couple of observations about this philosophy and this story and why this philosophy just doesn't work. Here's my first observation about this philosophy. It really only works for the super, super rich because eventually you're gonna need an attorney or a team of attorneys. The movies we watch, the TikTok reels we watch, the songs we listen to, they are fed to us by incredibly wealthy people who are saying, hey, I'm gonna do, live my life and do what I want and when I want with who I want and it's gonna be fine because I can, I can do it. Now we often add this little piece to the end of it, don't we? Because we're civilized people. We, we, we want to do the right thing. We don't chainsaw up people and mail them around. We're civilized, so we say, I'm going to do whatever I want, whenever I want, with whoever I want, as long as it doesn't hurt anybody. That's what we think. But truthfully, truthfully, only the super, super rich can afford this. Because most of us just look at those lives, we might think, oh, that'd be kind of fun to get to live like that, wouldn't it? No consequences. But we know we can't live that way. Because we live on the consequence side of things. And think about it. Has any social worker ever sat down with a couple and said to them, listen, I know you've had your kids taken away. Uh, I know you'd like to get them back, but, but here's what you're going to do to get your kids back. You want to get your kids back? Here's what you're going to do. You do whatever you want, however you want, whenever you want, with whoever you want, and you'll be fine. We'll get your kids back. Does it work that way? No, of course not. Of course it doesn't work that way. We know it doesn't work that way. This isn't reality. There are consequences. Here's something else about this line of thinking, another observation about this philosophy. This often works out better for men than women. Because in every story, not just the one I told you, but look across the world. While men have made their choices to do whatever they want, time and time again, women have paid the price for it. And they are taken advantage of, and they are abused, and they are treated as property, they are used as profit centers. In every society, women have had to fight for their own rights. That is not a godly perspective. This doesn't work out very well for the women. Last observation about this philosophy. I want to do whatever, whenever, whoever, as long as it doesn't hurt anybody. Well, guess what? Somebody always gets hurt. Somebody always gets hurt. You hurt your wife. You hurt your husband. You hurt your kids. At some point, you hurt you. Because you know that thing in your life that you wish wasn't in there anymore? Whether it's some kind of a compulsive behavior or some kind of addiction or some kind of a relationship that you can't get out of, it's probably there because at one point you said, I'm going to do whatever I want because, because I'm free and I'm in charge of me and I can make my own choices and now it hurts you. And you're dealing with the consequences. And you're stuck in this sin cycle of disobey, disaster, and somebody, please save me. And you can't get out of it yourself. You can't work it out on your own because you still believe you're going to do whatever you want as long as it doesn't hurt anybody. But now it's hurt you. So let me ask you this. Why is it as followers of Jesus, why is it that we would want to say, 
I want to slide down to the lowest common denominator here so I can do whatever it is I can get away with. Why wouldn't we want to say, I'm going to do whatever I want, however I want, whenever I want, as long as it helps somebody. But most of us just spend our lives just trying to make ourselves happy rather than somebody else. This is a crazy story. So I want to leave you with one verse. It's actually the verse that's the very end of the story. Matter of fact, it's the verse that's the very end of the book of Judges. Judges chapter 21, verse 25. This is how the story and how the book, how this year, this 300 years of this cycle end. In those days, Israel had no king. All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. Do you know why you're stuck in that sin cycle right now? It's because at some point in your life, you decided to do whatever, whenever, whoever, because it seemed right in your own eyes. And do you know why you did that? Because you had no king. Because you had no king. And I think this is the beauty of this really crazy, really weird story. Every time Israel cried out, they disobeyed, they dealt with disaster, they cried out to God, every time they cried out, their king delivered them. And the same God that they served, the same king that they had, is our God too. And if we'll allow him to sit on the throne of our lives, he will be our king as well. And for those of you right now who feel like you are in, stuck in a sin cycle, you feel like your disobedience has led to a disaster, you see no way out, there is a deliverer. And he decided to walk among us. And he decided to die in our place. And our king is Jesus. And he's the only one who could save us from ourselves. Because of Jesus, we have a king who delivers us. Let me pray for you. Our community team will go ahead and take their places, be ready to serve us. Father, we come to you now, and we thank you for the times that you've delivered us. When we've been in a mess by our own doing, by our own hand, and we've cried out to you, and you have delivered us, and we thank you for the promise that as our king, you will do just that. And Father, as we turn now to a time of communion, as we focus our hearts and minds upon the cross, upon the emblems of communion, body, and the blood of Jesus, we are reminded that our deliverer paid the price for us, that our deliverer has come, and through the finished work of Jesus on the cross, our sins can be taken away. Our sins have been removed from us, and we celebrate that now in this moment.